Hello and welcome to East Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen The Holdovers. Yes. I've been really looking forward to this. Um, directed by Alexander Payne. From the trailer, I mean, because I haven't really gone on with the two Alexander Payne films that I've seen before, Downsizing, which we did on the podcast. Yes. And Sideways, which was extremely popular, but I've never liked. Um, he's done a lot of other films, though, which I haven't seen. The Descendants, Nebraska, About Election. Schmidt. So what's your kind of history with Alexander Payne films? Well, I love Election and I love Nebraska. Um, I haven't seen Sideways. It's one of those films that I meant to see. I think I have the DVD of it, but for some reason I never got around to it. Yeah. Uh, so so I don't know about that one. But actually I was surprised looking at uh, the filmography and how much I like his films because he's not really a director that has registered much with me. Yeah. Sure. No, I get that. So this, the trailer for this, I thought was terrific because it had a real. It was like Grindhouse, right? When Count Tarantino and and um, Robert Rodriguez were doing Grindhouse, it was all about you know, adopting that seventies Grindhouse aesthetic, right? It was in the way the film looked and the way it had been treated and so on. And the trailer for this had the feeling of it's it's that seventies comedy look. Yes. Like it was all over the trailer. The way the titles came up on screen, they kind of shake slightly because of optical printing, the way that looked, you, you know, was in the digital age, it's all pixel perfect, but it wasn't back in the days of film and so on. Yeah, it had a voiceover guy. Trailers haven't had those in at least fifteen years. Mm. You know? It was like it was it was really kind of old school. And I thought, how is this is this going to carry through to the film itself? But you know, it was very convincing in the trailer and very charming, I thought. And it really does carry through to the film in a big way. Well, I mean, I liked it very much. There's something about boarding school films mm. where, you know, young men kind of learn how to be better people that is already like inherently musty somehow. <laughs> uh, and I, I, did, I did find this about this film as well, actually. It, it kind of felt like a heartwarming... TV movie or something. Yeah, yeah. That's why I liked it. Well, that's that's <laughs> what I didn't like about it. And I was thinking, am I being mean? Because you know, kind of not everything has to be visually dazzling. And you know, those shots of the snow and of the school. And I mean, you know, they were very effective. Yeah, in in, in creating a mood and some. Yeah. So you know, I was thinking, why am I finding it? a problem since it seems to be working. Really. I loved it, right? I loved it completely throughout. And I do understand your reticence with the look, but I think everything was so appropriate to the way it should look. You know, I was thinking, we've seen a lot of good films recently. Just the other day, we yes. saw The Zone of Interest. We've seen Priscilla. We've seen Next Goal Wins. We've seen Ferrari. We've seen a lot of films that are good in lots of different ways. I haven't seen a film for a very long time that has the kind of ambience that this film has. It communicates such a feeling, a, a tone that I can't quite. But it's it's it, it's 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 organic somehow, and it's in the way the characters relate to each other, and the way they look at each other, and the way they grow together. And the film is one cliche after another. It's so of its genre. Yes. But I it works its way into me so deeply. So by the time you get to, you know, we'll maybe get into full territory in a bit. But by the time you get to, you know, some of the kind of... Because everyone's got their secrets and those things come out and people reveal their insecurities and their foibles. I found it really moving. 
and the characters would relate to each other in 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 just kind of humane ways, you know, because the film essentially starts off with. So the premise is you got um, these kids at a New England boarding school who have got nowhere to go over Christmas for various reasons. They've been kept there. They're the holdovers. You've got the teacher, played by Paul Giamatti, who is the one who is stuck with uh, having to look after them. And he's not happy about it. And everyone's kind of at odds. And during the course of the film, as you might expect, that kind of iciness falls away and people bond. Yeah, it's a total cliche. Absolutely. But that bonding, you know, when it when it happened and when that thawing happened, I was I was so moved by it, really. I, I was moved. I, I mean, I don't want to kind of downplay that, right? Yeah. Because I mean, I think it's in a way it's a complicated film to talk about because you know there are things that I really um, dislike about it, right? Like you know that droney guitar music of you can cry but you can laugh and I was like ugh <laughs> which, bit, which bit that is, just, is it the whole gen- is a song that recurs right. yeah like kind of you know throughout you know with the guy singing that folksy thing on the guitar yeah uh, I honestly don't remember that I remember this I remember the soundtrack being dominated by piano I don't know about guitar, but I'm uh, well, sure you're right. In my, okay, you know, I, I associate it with guitar and yeah. kind of folk music of the period. But my God, you know, kind of uh, yeah. lyrically, it was just so awful. Uh, and, but again, it works in the film. Sure. It really sets, you know, the period. But actually, I'm surprised to remember it. And maybe I'm describing it badly because it's the song that recurs and recurs and recurs. You know, it's at the opening, it's at the closing credits. Yeah, it's kind of it's. It, honestly, it must have just completely passed me by <laughs> because I don't. But I'm sure you're right. I just I cannot think of what you're talking about. <laughs> well, it kind of irked me. Yeah. Though I did like you know uh, uh, much of the other use of music in the song. I mean, you know, particularly that uh, Artie Shaw moment at Christmas that I thought was wonderful. Um, I also think that the film is kind of ideologically very suspect. It really is one of those films. Oh, you know, these rich people have feelings too and they suffer as well and, you know, etc. So kind of it's, you know, part of the reason why I don't like the genre. That said, I laughed out loud so many times, mm, right? Yeah, it, absolutely. It kind of, it is, it is very funny and it is kind of um, touching. I, you know, I, I was also moved, but it's one of those ways that your brain processes it. So you know, kind of moved, and at the same time I'm thinking, oh, this is such a cliche, right? Like, Mm. you know, it it was operating uh, that way on me. On the other hand, I was surprised when we came out of the cinema, you know, that it was over two hours, and actually I didn't feel the time uh, hanging at all, uh, which is a real compliment to the film, because it's a very, very old-fashioned film. Mm. It's actually one we, we rarely get to see anymore. It's about people. It's small scale. It's about character and character development. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's a period piece. But actually the period, which I suppose is worth asking, kind of why did they set it in that period? I mean, uh, I suppose it could just... Maybe, well, not really. No, it couldn't have been set now because, of course phones and the internet would have changed the whole... I think that's probably part of it. I think also the writer was kind of basing it... The writer is not Alexander Payne. But the writer, I think, based it on um, experiences of his own at boarding school and in his childhood. So I'm imagining the period is, is similar and that's kind of naturally where it evolves from. 
but that doesn't mean you can't change the period, of course. No, but I think, you know, maybe the period... I was thinking maybe the period is significant because it's set in 1970 going into 1971, mm-hmm. which is the period of Nixon, yeah, and Vietnam, the escalation of the Vietnam War, but it is also a time between the moon landing and Watergate, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so there's still a sense of I don't know optimism in America or yeah, kind of, um, you know, it's kind of top of the world uh, and living up to particular ideals. And I wonder if you know some of the school ethos and so on wasn't tied to a kind of a nostalgia for a moment where it wasn't ridiculous to believe in the ethos of. Was it Saint Bart's or what was the school called? Oh, um, the school's the Barton Academy. So, so maybe the setting is used so that the ethos of the Barton Academy is still something that one could say without laughing in the era of Trump, basically. Well, it's definitely the case that the school setting, and I think the era has to do with this, is in that kind of middle space where these things are like the traditionalism and the mottos and so on are kind of not being taken so seriously, or there's a struggle to take them seriously by the uh, the, the powers that be, the establishment. The kids certainly aren't that interested, mm. but when, but I suppose probably kids in the 1700s probably weren't that interested. Whenever were they? They're kids. But there's definitely a struggle by the Paul Dramatic character to keep mm. that up, even against his own um, headmaster, mm. you know. Um, who, as he says, he used to teach, you know. Mm. So it's like the, the headmaster is of a generation where this is mattering less because the headmaster is of a generation, I guess, where the amount of money coming in from legacy students and that's why he's been punished because he hasn't been... Uh, so the Paul Dramatic character has given bad grades to um, the son of a legacy student and you know, and it's like a senator, this guy, wealthy donor... But his son is now not going to get into Cornell because he got this D or whatever, D minus. Um, and so he's, that's why he's having to look after the kids. He's being punished for that. But the thing is, it's like the, the point I'm getting at is the head, for what's most important is the money that comes in yes. from the donor. Whereas what's most important for Paul Giamatti's character, uh, Hunnam, his name is Paul Hunnam, is give the kid the correct grade. Work hard for your grade, earn it. And of course... That's, um, but then I suppose is that generational? Like maybe that is. I mean, hasn't that just always been the way that these places are institutions for the powerful, for the rich to consolidate and maintain their power and wealth mm. by by having things like legacy students and, mm. and wealthy donors and. Yeah. You know, so maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not a new thing in the seventies. Maybe it's you know. Well, I, I mean, I was just trying to think why said it in the seventies, right? Yeah. And you know, uh, speculating on, you know, the precise dates, because the film is very precise, right? It's 1970, and then we have New Year's Eve going into 1971. Mm-hmm. So um, I wondered if there was something more to it than that, and I suspect there is, because, you know, you don't go to the expense of making a period film unless you have to. No, sure. You know. it, and it makes use of its period, so it's not to say that it's you know not got a point. It makes use of its period, certainly in racial terms. Um, you've got uh, an allusion to um, civil rights, essentially, where, uh, so the, the the main characters in the film, you've got Paul Giamatti's, uh, Paul Hunnam, who's the teacher. You've got Dominic Sessa, who's the main kid, mm. staying over. 
and you've got Devine Joy Randolph as Mary Lamb, who is the um, administrator of the cafeteria. She's black. And her son had gone to the school, and the reason she works there is so that her son would get that first-class education there, but he couldn't escape the draft. Because he couldn't avoid college. Yeah, and didn't make it to the age of 20. But there's also the, the thing where the, the, the dickhead student, I can't remember his name, but the one who's a real arsehole, um, and, and she says as much as well, everyone agrees that he's an arsehole, mm. um, says, you know, her cooking's so bad, but it doesn't matter anymore because they can't even fire her. Yeah. Which, to me, I mean, that's a fairly clear allusion to civil rights and, and um, that he's a racist little shithead. Well, there's no question that he's a racist little shithead, but I think it has to do with... Um, more than that, they can't fire her because her son died. Yeah, that's... Oh, uh, yeah, that's what I didn't even think about it that way. I mean, uh, that might well be true. I, I, mean, I took not, it as... It's not because she's black. I took it as him saying, like... Um, you know, if if they fired her now, she would kick up a fuss about firing her because she's black. Like you kind of imagined, mm. you know. In fact, now that I think about it, uh, the period is is very important, and there is kind of, you know, an allusion to civil rights because we're shown all those tombstones at church of Barton boys who died in World War One and World War Two yes. in the Korean War, and then we're told that the only Barton boy who's died in Vietnam has been this young black boy who couldn't afford college. Mm. Yeah, who is the son of... Mary. Mary. So it's definitely racialized, right? Because, you know, World War One, World War II, uh, the Korean War, there's lots of... Well, not you're not shown lots and lots of names, but the implication is that many Barton boys died and did their bit mm. for their country in those wars. Whereas uh, in the Vietnam War, this was the unlucky sucker who had no option but to go and get killed so hmm. and he's black so yes now that i think of it that is that is crystal clear yeah um well there's also a, a thing where you know those those guys who died in the previous wars also didn't escape going to war um, and of course the, the most we see of them is just these um uh, dates but that's making a, di- a difference between the kind of wars those were yes and the kind of war that Vietnam is and the kinds of, you know, students that went uh, to Barton's in those times and the kinds of students who are going now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. Um, I was also just thinking of it in terms of, like, the film is setting up a continuity of those students when it shows you that sequence of shots that ends with Mary's son. Well, it's setting up a continuity, but then you're told... He's the only Barton student who's died in Vietnam. Yeah. So. Yes. Um, but how many... Well, well I'd, I'd, maybe we should get too specific about this. But how many um, students do we see names of before that? I think it's maybe three. And are they all different wars? Are we, are we basically shown one per war? I don't think so. I think you're shown more than one. Right. Uh, you're definitely shown more than one World War One. Yeah, I think uh, so. So, um, but the implication is that you know, all Barton students did their bit in the war, and it's clear that not all Barton students are doing their bit in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, I, I get, yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, um, I mean, there's definitely a difference. I, when you, think, I you also think about it in British terms, it's all that for king and country thing, hmm. you know, and like you were doing the right thing by sending your sons to war. To, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, like it was, there was honour in that and so on, whereas 
Where they've just they've just said the other day that they want to bring back conscription to fight Russia, and everyone is saying no, no, it's okay, not for me, thanks. Uh. Like there's no king of country anymore. Well, the film is basically saying it's only the poor, you know, and the black kids and the poor black kids who have no choice but to go, and you know, kind yeah. of the rest. If you have money and wealth and position, you get off scot free. So basically, kind of you're just being exploited, and you're a sucker if you go. Um, I mean, the sucker element I'm adding, the film doesn't imply that because obviously it's seen as tragic. Uh, uh, but, you know, the fact that he got to go because he was poor and black is mm, yeah. crystal clear. Let's talk about the fact that the main character, uh, well, who I see as the main character, although it's kind of an ensemble or at least a two-hander between Paul Giamatti and Dominic Sessa. But mm. I would say Paul Giamatti is the centre of the film. He is, but it is um, a real two-hander, though, you know, he is... Um, He's so great in it. You know, I was... Um... Well, I was going to say, let's talk about the fact that he's basically you. <laughs> <laughs> How very dare you. <laughs> in some ways. Yeah, well, at one point you leaned over to me and you said, he's me. And it's when the guy, when he was going on and on in like a cynical rant about the state of the world. And, it, and it's supposed to be Christmas. He's at a party. And he's talking about how dreadful the world is. And this and the other. And you I went, identified it, with that. Because yeah. You know, I am thinking, am I becoming like this grumpy old man? Well, you said the other day, becoming? <laughs> like the implications <laughs> that I already am. You know, but this sense that he's got this very bleak view of the world. Yeah, that kind of, you know, things uh, are getting worse. And he's not shy about articulating the various ways in which things are wrong. So, um, and I do recognize myself in that in a negative way. Yeah, it's kind of, it's not a quality because... You know, everybody knows that uh, what the problems of the world are. Kind of, there's no reason to be kind of constantly reminded. Um, so I did uh, identify with that aspect of you know his personality, um, and 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 others actually, but obviously kind of not in many other ways. Yeah. No, I mean he's got, he's got a devotion to the academic, um, which for him borders on for him it's really the only thing. You know, so I mean, a, a key difference between you and him is that you travel, yes. you know, and he is, he's been there for his entire life, basically. And we do get this um, revelation later on of what has kept him there to some extent. Yes. Um, this thing about um, being kicked out of Harvard for, well, he's framed for plagiarism by a rich legacy student yes. who actually plagiarised from him. Um, so that ruined his career prospects and a relationship with the teacher at Barton, which was his high school, gave him a job there. So th there's like a, a kind of concrete reason. But there's also this thing about he would like to travel and there's nothing really stopping him, but he hasn't. Well, except there are things stopping him. So you learn later on that basically because he doesn't have a university degree, he's not getting paid a full salary. He's just an adjunct, mm. right? So he's obviously, you know, on a much lower salary than his colleagues. So so maybe he can't afford to go. You also see that he drives a very old car, you know, that, um, yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, he's, he's not someone who's got a lot of money. So kind of maybe money is an issue. The traveling, I understand. What I don't understand is the way that and, and I'm not sure if this is like, uh, you know, if it's a problem in the film, actually, because, you know, uh, uh, you, you could have made him an old guy who's 
not in a relationship and so on without making him smell and you know kind of uh, uh the implication is that he is afraid of sex and he's afraid of women and mm. you know the, the student suspects he's a virgin i mean i think that's kind of um taking it too far really mm. i don't think there's a need for that um yeah it's yeah, overagging the the pudding really I know what you mean. I don't quite see what we're supposed to get out of that. I mean, he could be irascible. He he could have, uh, you know, and 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 things that are you know that I identify with. I mean, I'm not the most socially skilled person. He's not, you know, he uh, offends people uh, without. Uh, uh, um, well, he's often very deliberate about the way that he offends people, but he's a very nice and sensitive man, and so on. You could have made the character equally rich without you know, giving him a body odor problem, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the sex bit, I'm not sure how to read that because he says, oh, you should have seen me when I was younger. And really, is the implication there that that is true or, you know, that he's just, you know, saying, saying something to the kid to get out of the awkward yeah. situation or whatever. Um, I mean, yeah. he's clearly, I mean, he's somebody who's looking at porn in class Mm. So, you know, he doesn't lack for desire, right? So why is it that, I mean, everybody is uh, saying that he's got a problem, you know, just that he's afraid of women. And again, I kind of, I I do find that overriding the pudding. I I mean, I come from a small village in Spain and I know everyone and, you know, (laughs) kind of like Miss Marple, you do think that you have an insight into human behavior because one sees everything in a village. A village has all types. And it certainly has a lot of, you know, uh, unmarried uh, elderly people, not all of whom are gay, Mm. right? So there are many reasons why people don't marry or people don't have relationships and, you know, kind of people have various problems interacting with other people and so on. Uh, That could be understandable without kind of, you know, taking it to such an extent as here, I, I do think it's unnecessary to to give the man, you know, a physical problem with body odor. Yeah. You know? I mean, he could just be awkward or he could have had a bad experience in his past or, you know, whatever. Like, there's so many reasons why one could be uncomfortable, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I, I agree with you. Um, although I think um, I liked his, uh, his uh, funny eyes. I think they work really well, and I would have uh, um, been sad to lose those. Um, you know, I, I mean, you, you can definitely like you can build in just a guy who is awkward and maybe that kind of thing. You know, without having to go into I have this medical condition that means I don't process trimethylamine, whatever it was, yes. and I smell like like fish by the end of the day. Um, you know, that doesn't have to be the reason that, you know, people have kind of stayed away from him. Yeah. It could just be like he's kind of awkward and so on. He's awkward and he doesn't make people feel good. I completely get it, right? Like kind of, you know, nobody wants to be around someone who's constantly making you feel bad about whatever (laughs) your faults are, however true they are. He's kind of trying to build stuff onto an absurd degree, I guess. And I think you're supposed to find it funny, I suppose. Um, And maybe sympathetic, but uh, I didn't. I just found it was a little bit confusing. And as you said, a little bit too much. Um, He is very funny. And, you know, what I began to say originally in praise is that I think it's such a great performance. And I was thinking of this moment, you know, at the end where he gets visibly moved and 
the difference in the performance of the younger man and him is, you know, the, the young man is, is very good, yeah, uh, you know, and he's handling his scenes well. But Giamatti's response is his whole body flushes. Mm. Like, it's like his face reddens, you know, uh, uh, with emotion, right, when they say goodbye, right? And then, of course, yeah, they don't, uh, initially they don't hug, they don't do anything, but it's just the changes in his face, I thought were like kind of communicated everything. It was like extraordinary. And it was like a physical change. It was like you felt him kind of getting red or something. Yeah, it was like uh, yeah. really wonderful. It's a really remarkable performance. He's, a, he's such an incredible presence on screen, Dramati, and he has been forever. And it's the kind of role that he really deserves. And he absolutely shines in it. He's... He's so, I, I was sort of thinking at one point, I thought like, there's something so original about this. And of course, really, there's nothing original about this character. It, every part of it is is a cliche you've seen somewhere mm. before, down to the things of, you know, this guy is apparently uh, no good with women, possibly a virgin, scared of them, the the body odour that kept him away, he you know, um, receded into academia, all that sort of thing. I feel like, you know, you've seen all these, all these cliches, all these character aspects places here there and everywhere um so there's not a there's not an original thing about it but it's it's played so sincerely and richly it's not played as though it's a collection of bits it's played as a he's a, he's a full character with a history and you know and a personality and everything i just i don't know i'm not maybe not explaining it well but i i just i I understood him implicitly and I got him and I was so into it from the start. I get this guy. And that may, you could even maybe say it's slightly overegged at the start, the thing about how, what uh, a kind of a strict guy he is so that he will be softened later on. Of course. You could even say that. But I think that's part of the territory, right? That's what this film yeah. is. I mean, you know, I do think that the film is very effective with all of that and that it gets all the gradations and changes in mood and you know, incredibly well, including the boy, you know, the awakening sexuality. I mean, those scenes at the party when he meets the young girl and they're doing the finger painting, like, you know, you got a real sense of just sensuality. Yeah, the camera moves in, it gets yeah. very close. You know, it's kind of, it's it's really beautifully done, actually. Um, you got, so, I mean, it really captured that feeling yeah. of being like 15, 16, yeah. and like, oh my God, yeah. this girl. And maybe and like you get close and and the possibility that like for the first time in your life oh my god something but I might get close it, yeah. like it fucking captured that completely it I was does. amazed and also it also captured in the, in the same scene although to a lesser extent that feeling of like finding out that your teachers are human mm. which which is kind of is going on throughout the film yeah. but seeing them in a party context yes. you know like well for know. me that the moment that I liked best is the moment in the hotel room where Giamatti realizes that, or, or, or he, uh, he realizes the student is taking Librium because he's depressed. Hmm. Yeah, and then you see him go into his own bag and pop some Librium himself, right? Yeah. So the other kind yeah. of depression is one of the things they share. Yeah, <laughs> um, I was reminded of when I went on a ski trip, funnily enough, because, you know, a ski trip kind of figures into this film. Um, but, uh, my school would put on a ski trip every year and I went when I was, I must have been in the upper sixth, I must have been 17. Um, and we went to Zermatt. And there were four of us in the upper sixth uh, who went and the rest were, were, were kids from lower years. 
And I remember one of the teachers one day getting absolutely fucking furious with some kid in the lower year. So the four of us from the from the upper sixth were just sat like in the kind of lobby of this hotel, like playing cards. And the teacher was losing his shit for whatever reason. And and we were just sitting there like very embarrassed, like you know when you hear someone else going off and you're like, I'm not fucking moving here, you know. And that was going on for about half an hour. And then the shouting stops and he comes out and it's like seven, eight in the evening. And he comes out and he sees us and he goes, do you want to come for a pint? But it's like all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, is this a trick? And then and before you know it, you're sat in a pub with your teacher sharing a pint. Mm. And it's very weird, you know? Like you're seeing them in a context that you're just not used to and you're being treated like adults. And, and there's, a, there's a feeling of that here, right? When he's like, he's the kid, he's just like, he's being... He's going to his teacher's party and he's seeing them in a different context. Um, it really reminded me of that. It was a very weird evening. Mm. I think one thing I maybe wanted a little bit more of from the film was um, Mary, um, who I think is a really wonderful character. And she is, from the start, she's kind of the heart of the film because we begin with her having lost her son. And she's having to deal with that at Christmas, as well as deal with, you know, hanging out at school, dealing with the holdovers and so on. And she's still doing the job of uh, cooking for everyone. Mm. And I do like the way, I like the early scenes that she has with Paul, where, um, you know, when they watch telly together, she introduces him to the concept of popular television. Yes. And they have a chat about, you know, her son, history, and that kind of thing. Um you know, I think that's. I mean, every 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 individual scene in the film, not just with her, but with every individual scene, it flows so beautifully. No matter what it's about, it has a beginning, middle, and end, and it and it they're, they're witty and they move quickly. And even though you get into some quite serious and dramatic territory with them, there's a lightness that is maintained. You know, yes. I, I really love it. I think it's incredibly directed, actually. Um, but I, I feel like with her character. I don't know, maybe it's unfair because you do get a lot of context about her and her son and her son's father, who she never got to marry because he died too soon. Um, there Was was there something just a little bit missing or maybe slightly too quickly developed when she go, when you, you see her crying when she's had you know, one too many to drink in the kitchen at the party and all of a sudden it, it comes out? How distraught she is at her son's death. I, I, I. Again, this is and this is interesting because it's it's the problem with the film for me, you know. Because on the one hand, the character is fully fleshed out. Mm. You get so much background and context. You know, you have the Paul Giamatti character kind of making a tentative pass at her, mm. where she knocks his hand back. You know, you see her relationship. You know, with this janitor. Yeah, which is, you know, there's an unfolding there of something. You see her with her family. Yeah, so, you know, kind of, this is much more fleshed out than, you know, this type of character would be yeah. in this type And although of film. we've described the film as a two-hander between the two guys, we see more of her family and life than we do of theirs, really. I mean, yeah. hear them talk about their lives, but we see hers. Yeah, exactly. On the other hand, the character feels only a step removed from you know, an Eve Ardenish kind of waspish, funny, 
cigarette dangling but with a heart of gold yeah yeah so you know I, and I, and this is something that's fascinating to me about the film that in the on the one hand it feels really well worn on the other hand the film is making it live you know mm. so um and i think i suppose what's true of that character is true of the film as a whole yeah I mean, that's ultimately where I am with the film is just I live in the cliche and I love it. And the fact that it feels so, as you said, TV movie-ish, like Hallmark movie-ish mm. in some ways set at Christmas after all. Yes. And everyone, I mean, well, I say everyone has a happy ending. It's not exactly true. The, the ending is kind of complex, but you have this ending where the characters but change. But it's a happy and, ending. Yeah. The characters change and one, one character does something for another character and is himself satisfied with the outcome. So, yeah. Paul loses his job in having covered for Angus, um, but we see him celebrating that loss. Well, also, you know, it, it's maybe the push he needed to now write the book and yeah, you know, monograph. So, on. so monograph. Yeah. he's not got a book. <laughs> That's right. It's merely a monograph. <laughs> so um, you know, but it's 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 all of that. It's all that cliche, and it's this. It's it's very comfortable, but it it just I just I I lived in its world. You know. It's it's very interesting because there was this LA Review of Books article and it ranks all the top 10 Oscar nominees mm. and uh, the top is Zone of Interest, I think followed by Oppenheimer and near the bottom is The Holdovers. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, to me, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. That kind of, you know, it's a really good film. It's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's really enjoyable. It's very touching, but there is just something about it that doesn't soar for me. <laughs> yeah, see, like I, in a way, I kind of think about it from the other direction. So I kind of start off by thinking about what a bunch of cliches and everything it is strung together, and then there's alchemy in it that makes it come alive and elevates it to something that I that I wouldn't ordinarily be as interested in. You know, I'm kind of thinking about it in that direction. You are, but, and my way of thinking about it is I'm comparing it to, you know, other films that are kind of like this, that they're they're small scale about relationships and, you know, and you think of the very greatest, like, uh, I think, like Leo McCarry's Make Way for Tomorrow, which is like a little bit like Tokyo Story. It's about this old couple, you know, who've waited too long with their mortgage arrears or whatever, Mm -hmm. and they get kicked out and... They have to go to old folks home, but they have to be separated. And it's their last weekend in New York. And anyway, the film is full of scenes that I just find it so moving and it's like magical. (laughs) And I just think, you know, that much as I like this film and I was touched by it and I did find it very funny. To me, it didn't soar in the way that like, you know, the greatest of these films do. So, you know, I think it's a very good film, but I wouldn't kind of put it up there either. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe, maybe not. I just, I, I do really love it. And I thought it's actually a really remarkable achievement to just make me feel as much as this did. Yes, I, 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 I do think um, that it is also kind of a remarkable achievement because, the, you know, to have a situation that feels very cliche-ish, but to make each moment live and seem true and, you know, it's really quite an achievement. I think. Yeah, and I also want to say how much I liked um, the kid Dominic Sessa, oh, yeah. who plays Angus, who you know we've talked over a little bit. Um, but I, there's that close-up of his 
face, the camera actually over a, a while um, zooms out of his face just after he's visited his dad in the um, mental institution and he's opening up about um, the fear that he will be like his dad and, and missing him and so on. And it's a, it's, a, it's a long take and he's got a lot of dialogue to deliver at that point and it's so intense on his face and he's so emotionally open you know kind of for the camera i thought god this is really my like he's an attractive kid he has the right look for the period he has the right look for it i don't know how old the actor is but he looks you know like a mm. 17 year old kid and what have you and and he has the right kind of attitude fighting against mm. the teacher and you know there's a great scene where he's chasing him around the horse it feels so right but then when it comes to the most challenging parts of of what that role has he's up to it yeah and he's 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 and he's half of what makes that so moving the other half is the actor he's playing against i mean it's a character piece so each of the characters has to work and it's a triumvirate it's really the three of them and they make it work really yeah um but paul giamatti is in a class of his own i think he's remarkable i saw an interview with him just recently because he's been obviously interviewing a lot because he's promoting the film um and he's on the awards i mean he just won the golden globe didn't he I think he, he won the Golden Globe and so did um, Devine Joy Randolph. Mm. And they're also both nominated in their respective supporting categories for the Oscars. And he was he was talking about previous roles that he's done. And <laughs> like it's so clear that the role that he enjoyed the most was as the orangutan in Planet of the Apes. He loved it. Uh, and that's and it feels so Paul dramatic because he's talking about how like um, he was offered it or he, he went for it. And his agent said, would you not rather play a human? And he's like, if you tell them I want to play a human, I'm firing you on the spot. Like, I have to play the monkey. <laughs> you can see why that kind of appeals. And you can see why this guy, you know, with his kind of um, idiosyncrasies and the eye thing in particular mm. and the way he behaves, um, is, is appealing to him. Mm. And, and, and he really brings it alive, yeah. Uh, anyway, it's a film that, you know, I, on balance, really like very much. Uh, I also think it's a film worth seeing on a big screen if you can. Even though I was saying that it's not visually spectacular, there is something about being immersed in those mm. faces and those situations and, you know, not having control over the time of the film that kind of makes it really, really effective in a cinema. Yeah, you'll get so absorbed. Yeah. I was. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I was as well. Um, so, um, do you want to add anything before we wrap up? No. (laughs) Okay, well, on that note, uh, we highly recommend it. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at eavesdropmovies, and Blue Sky, eavesdropping.bsky.social, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.